Blog Talk Radio. that I had were, let's say, security people. 
and you know security people uh skill set that overlaid onto that was uh they were they were very uh, adept at recognizing what i called threat behaviors you know most of us in civilian life uh in our everyday life don't encounter these types of threat behaviors but if you are in a situation in a crowd where someone has a knife or a gun um or anything you know uh life-threatening, uh, there's a certain way that people react. And I guess it's, you know, an in, in, in inherent um, survival mechanism or whatever. But being able to recognize those types of behaviors is a, is a good skill set. And there are a lot of other skill sets that are going to overlay into this into the future. And I, I, I do think that people are going to need training. Um, basically, something's going to have to be sussed out as far as standards are concerned. I, I still... You know, I hate to beat the tired old drum of there not being any regulation uh, to point to, but it, it really is a stumbling block for this this community and this industry everywhere. You know, training. You know, I'm I'm writing a position paper about uh, privacy and the community or industry. You know, we do, we don't have any we don't have any regulations to point to to go. Well, here's the flight envelope that we're gonna uh, be able to fly in. So don't uh, don't you know don't freak out. Um, and, and it's kind of along the same lines the ACLU you know uh, would come and talk to COA holders and say, oh my God, you know we have these privacy issues. But then they realized how limited the flight envelope was. You know they went away with no problems. And I know I kind of segued into a couple of different subjects, but I mean, you, do you agree with that? I mean, have you have you heard the same thing? Well, I, absolutely. The, the the lack of regulation and standards. You know, of course, mm-hmm. we know what the ASTM has been working on for what appears to be an eternity uh, is a standard, an industry standard for small UA, and that's really not gotten us much of anything. Uh, it's always fallen back on the mill spec, and those are all these pretty draconian because they tend to be in a, in a pretty harsh environment, which I don't think we're going to be running into out here in the civilian end of it. Well, you know, that and, and the program of record, you know, what the trappings that come with that are uh, plenty of money to develop manuals and standards. And, you know, uh, it, it also affords you the, the opportunity to hire the staff and, um, you know, do the printing and all the rest of that. Uh, I agree with you. I, I don't, you know, I don't think that we're going to have to get uh, that crazy. But uh, unfortunately, the standards groups are, are treading water in the doldrums. And, you know, again, I've worked with them over the years, as you have. And, uh, you know, it just seems like the DOD mindset. They just figure, well, if we just keep rewriting this. Uh, eventually, one day, the FAA is going to go, oh, holy moly, this is it. This is you, you, you found the touchstone, you know, which I don't think is really going to happen. Now, on that, well, go ahead, and then we'll continue. I, I believe that that lack of standard, that lack of civilian standard, is and, and the pressure to get UAs out into accepted roles, such as search and rescue, uh, law enforcement, and that sort of thing, that lack of standard is going to force people toward the mill spec since it's already there and it, it's in use. So it, it's more from the pressure of not having someone doing something progressive and showing progress in the civilian side. Right. Well, and, you know, this is the name of the game. I, You know, I didn't really realize this in the beginning and um, slow learner and all. 
that basically this process is tracking the FBO process, you know, that, that federal business opportunity thing. And, you know, what's going to happen here? You know, finally they threw these mandates in here. Uh, you know, I've likened it to giving instructions to a teenager to clean their room, you know, unsupervised. And that's basically what Congress gave the FAA is, hey, we want you to, you know, clean this mess up, uh, but we're not going to give you any guidance. Here's some deadlines, get cracking, and then, you know, when it doesn't happen, then what? You know, we know that there's no accountability over there. That's a joke. So uh, what's going to happen, in my estimation, um, and if I'm going to use the uh, FBO process again as a guide, is there's going to be a lot of Hail Mary um, when these mandates hit. I mean, I was looking at the FAA site yesterday, and, you know, remember the mandate to streamline the COA process. We talked about that. And go over there and look at the date. That it was posted on the website, the rah rah piece. Oh, you know, we've implemented this streamlined COA process. Sis boom ba rah rah ya. Um, and then, you know, what did we, we learned what last week that that's still not really happening. No, it's not really happening. And uh, the, the surprising thing is that there was an effort to slow it down even further. <laughs> Well, that's good, you know. It makes uh, Bill Slowski proud. I don't know if you know who Bill Slowski is, but he's a tortoise that advertises for Comcast Cable. He likes everything very slow. <laughs> I think they well, should do uh, be pretty happy over that situation then because uh, they're, they're really, if you'll notice, there hasn't been very much press or there hasn't been any announcements from the FAA concerning moving forward on this that, that 90-day deadline was something that they had to address and they had to get something out on. And for the most part, it was misinformation. I, I hate to say that, but uh, uh, that's well, exactly what we ended up with. It appears that way. I mean, you know, I don't know, that, you know, to the casual observer. Um, but, you know, getting back to the uh, ASTM and RTCA, and there are a couple other groups, you know, but uh, I, I, I'd heard that the, the ASTM uh, made overtures to reach out to me, um, and you know, which was kind of news to me. I did talk to um, uh, some people involved and had some correspondence and kind of got the, the update, and, had, you know, it's just people feel things are moving along, and that's great. I don't really feel um, like anybody reached out to me. They're not. I don't think they really want to reach out to me beyond. Um, I know that they were very hot to try to have our Kappa on board. You know, you have the small business community. Um, it's a love hate thing. They don't. They want to hear what I have to say, but they'd love me to sign off on that. So I guess well, we had everybody in here. We don't have anybody in here. We don't have a, we we don't have anybody in there besides a certain um groups that have an actual end game. Um you know, my end game is not a selling a product. My end game is advocating for a small business to have a future in this realm and in this technology. Um and and I, I think that sometimes people get lost in that. I, I don't know. I mean, I I don't. I can't tell you how many times that people sidebar and say, you know, but what's Patrick Egan's angle? What's his deal? Why is he involved in this? Why is he even here? They can't figure it out. My thing with it is, is it's simple to figure out. Nothing to sell. I'm not selling a product. You know, 
all I'm trying to sell is uh, an avenue for uh, small business and academia to use this low-cost, um, low-risk technology uh, and, and bring this, this, this aerial uh, remote viewing to the masses. That's it in a nutshell. And my work with the ASTM, that's it in a nutshell. I'm not asking for anything. I'm not saying, you know, um, you got to give me money. I'm not saying you got to give me a, a plaque. Um, you know, honorable mention. I don't want a trophy. I don't care. You know, and 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 that's my goal. And to some people, that's pretty strange. You know, uh, why would I want to do that? The same thing with RTCA. Now, I, they have RTCA has reached out, and I have been invited to one of the meetings that is going to be out here, and uh, I think it's Silicon Valley, and it's coming up here in the early fall, late summer, early fall. And, uh, you know, I'm going to uh, go into that with an open mind. And um, I, I told them that I'd be interested in coming. Uh, they may not be happy with uh, the result because, you know, again, it's one of those efforts that I was a part of. I, you know, when I, I look back on this stuff, Gene, it, uh, <laughs> all you can do is laugh. But 2005. You know, 2005, 2006 was involved, um, and, and now it's 2012, and I know that they've pared down the scope of the work that they're looking at, but uh, if I go to the meeting and I don't see anything, I'm going to have no choice but to uh, voice my reservations and, and uh, critique the process. And, and not only in the meeting, but publicly, because that's what I do. I figure, you know... Truth doesn't, uh, you know, fear investigation. Uh, you know, and that's yeah. it in a, in a nutshell. Yeah, and, and I've always appreciated that about you. I mean, some people have called you a bit acerbic, but uh, that, that's okay. You've always. <laughs> Among you've other always things. Yeah, well, I, we won't go into name calling, but uh, yeah, that's one of the things that, that people don't understand is that this path is so circuitous. It's very difficult, especially from a small business standpoint, is to pick that path that you want to proceed down to go into the industry on. I've very broad brushed said I was going to design and manufacture unmanned aircraft. That's all well and good. But as we look at the regulations as they're starting to formulate, you know, the the path that I chose could be wrong. And I could have to adapt and move towards something completely different. And when you're out there doing your advocacy work that you're doing, again, you create the avenue. Once you create the avenue, you can decide where you're going in the industry and how you perceive uh, your solution will benefit the industry. And, and I think that from a small business standpoint, people need to look at that and say, you know, right now you could go – in 10 different directions in the UA industry, and nine of them could be wrong based on the, the regulations that's about to come out. Well, and, and I've always contended that. I mean, you can't, you know, the, the American business model is something that's looking to the next quarter or maybe, you know, two quarters, the outside three quarters. Um, and it's made it very difficult in this field to find uh, venture capital. Um or anything else, uh, even though all along, and now this is going back to 2006 in the Wayback Machine, 
uh, oh, you know, it's going to be three months. It's going to it's going to be six months. It's going to be eight months. Um, it'll right. be within a year. And here we are, 2012. You know, supposedly the the SFAR is out of the FAA's hands, and it's kind of funny as now they they you know look to DOT like they're dragging their butt, which is kind of comical because uh, the FAA has dragged its butt for you know seven years. So uh, very hard to find venture capital. Now I know even talking myself to venture capitalists, they they say they're very interested in this technology. Everybody realizes that the the unmanned aircraft thing is here to stay. Some people thought it was a fad. That's over. What? It's here to stay. Um and they want in on it, but but just like you're talking about, you know, there's there's people um, moving in a multitude of directions. Nobody really understands where this thing's going to go and where the uh let's say the the, the pot of gold is under what rainbow. And, uh, you know, it's difficult to discern because of that. And, you know, it's not only um, – I don't think that anybody's – I think a lot of people are grasping at where it's going to go or visionaries are looking at where it's going to go. But, but again, it's very fluid. It's dynamic. And as you know as a manufacturer, you know, and, and you can speak to this, uh, I'm sure, is, is where you've seen the technology go since you started manufacturing uh, SUAS. Oh, that's that's been incredible. The the main reason that we even fly SUAS is because of the sensors that we can carry. And the development and the miniaturization of the sensors has taken a quantum leap from 2005 up to 2012. If you'll recall, we were flying CGA cameras in 2005 and thought we were getting this amazing amount of data. Yeah. And yeah. now I understand there are two-pound mass spectrometers that uh, my little wing could carry. Uh, and when you get up into the 10, 12-pound range of the aircraft still staying in Tier 1, there are some incredible sensors that you can put in the air for a very long period of time. And in this particular field, Moore's Law is definitely in effect. Every 18 months, you know, you're going to have this, this turnover. And as we are allowed to fly in the NAS, you're going to see that accelerate even more. I, that's my opinion. Oh, and, and I think you're dead on, um, you know, because right now it's kind of funny is, you know, on, on a lot of the, the different, let's say, social media type sites, like even LinkedIn, I saw somebody posted a story and about these guys that were over here in Dublin or England and, you know, they're violating people's privacy <clears throat> publicly, you know, they're just doing some stuff to show people what can be done. And, you know, I mean, you want to talk about the barn door being left open. I mean, the barn's been burnt down and gone for years. Uh, the 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 guy over at uh, Chris Anderson at Do-It-Yourself Drones has sold over 14,000 systems himself. You know, you can buy Parrot Drone, and that's what I think they were using. Uh, you know, Brookstone, Fry's, boutique shops all over the Internet. Um then you got all the homebrew people, the RC groups folks. I mean, there's, you know, what, 50,000, 60,000, 100,000, 150,000 of these systems already out here, people operating weekends, weekdays, whatever. Some of them do it professionally. Some are weekenders. Some are just out there having fun. Um, you know, and, and, and you're going to try and regulate that? The, the FAA and the CAA has missed the boat. 
they could have came out with common sense regulation like we suggested back in 2007, 2008, 2009, and uh, could have had community-based you know, regulation for the, again, IKO definition of frangible under four pounds. But, oh, no, you know, we can't have that. That would make too much sense. Instead, we want to try and, uh, you know, wrap around or wrap our heads around something we totally uh, don't understand. So, you know, in the future, and, and it's, you know, I, I guess it's a whistling past the graveyard thing because you'll remember, you know, oh, safety of the nest. We can't do no harm, which somebody got off of a bumper sticker, which is great. But, uh, you know, what, where is this giant menace? You know, one, and they set themselves up. I mean, it's like running out in the minefield because they also set themselves up. When the first accident does happen, I'm going to lay the blame, you know, right at the regulator's feet. They know this is going on. They've known it's been going on. There's no denying it. They used to try and deny it, but, I mean, you can't. And where can you go and, and not hear or look and, and see one of these stories? The other one that's a, the kicker on that was, you know, you, did you see the video of the guys flying uh, the FPV around the Statue of Liberty's head? I did see that. I did yeah. see that. That was a pretty amazing video, and uh, I, I think that there was uh, some other video done in New York by this individual as well, and, and uh, I understand he got contacted. Oh, did he? Well, because, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, there were there was that flight, and I know people stepped forward from the community and gave the FAA, you know, name, address, phone number, contact info, told them that they were going to do more video. It was for commercial purposes, and I, I hadn't seen, I haven't seen anything, personally. No investigation, um, no reprimand, no sightings, nothing. So, you know, I, I think that would have been a case where, you know, they could have come out and clearly there's there's got to be stuff on the in the, the far aim books where they could, um, you know, take some sort of action with that. I've heard nothing. So, you know, I think that demonstrates uh, where the FAA is. I, I don't see how they are going to be able to police this thing, especially with the numbers that we're talking about. I mean, they can't even, you know, we get the, uh, the nappy air traffic controllers. You'd think they're a little easier to find. You know where you're going to find air traffic controllers, right? Yep. <laughs> a little difficult to find guys flying little airplanes. You know, and especially even the pro- proliferation of what's coming out of China. You know, as far as uh, consumer planes or, you know, $79 quadcopters or even the parrot drone, you know. I mean, these guys demonstrated what you could do with it. So That's correct. You know, and it's going to be more and more difficult. They're going to have to improve their systems to be able to keep up with something that doesn't give the radar signature of a sparrow. Yeah, you know, or a bumblebee or something else, you know. Yeah, so That's more appropriate, I think. Yeah, there's there's no way that party's over, and, and it just goes to show. You know, I was talking to somebody else about that. About uh, you know, the people in D.C. are a lot like the people in Hollywood, but everybody thinks in D.C. that they're they're on the cutting edge and they're running the world. And I think they just missed the boat. They're treading the water, swimming in the wake. Um, it, it's you know more of that uh, let's say D.O.D. mentality or even big government mentality that. We're going to move at a certain pace, and you know, technology is going to jump in line. Uh, 
um, to to what we have to say in our regulation, and that's just being proven uh, more and more that it's that's just not the case, and they're just farther and farther from the reality of the, the that Moore's law and technology. <laughs> it's that simple. You just you're sitting at the station. You're sitting at a station where the train doesn't run down that spur anymore, and uh, you know it does for some folks. Um, you know, it does for, for those that have already have established pipelines of products and places to off-ramp those products. But for, for new people, no, I don't think so much. Um, well, you know, I'm going to switch gears on you a little bit there, Patrick, when we're talking about technology. I, I don't know if you uh, uh, were aware yesterday that uh, someone, one of our brethren here at the University of Texas, demonstrated very easily how it was to spoof an unmanned aircraft and give them new GPS coordinates to go elsewhere. Well, I thought that was an interesting little development that was put forth in the news, and I think it's probably going to be, after the privacy issue, the spoofing thing is going to be the, the next issue. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the gift, as I like to call um, the, the the new uh, unmanned aircraft system we gave to... Um, Iran. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, the SUS news has a man inside Iran. Uh, if people have read those stories. There were a couple of stories that came out of Iran, and we had actually uh, got information that basically that's what happened. That they, um, you know, spoofed this thing, and you know, you can see by the condition that it landed in, uh, it wasn't destroyed, and they captured it. I think it's it's. Again, part of our, our technological mindset that the you know they got oh, we're untouchable, we're not untouchable, and they proved it. You know, we gave them a very expensive, uh, taxpayer-funded gift, and I think you know what did this guy say? Uh, what what the, the the most sophisticated spoofer you've seen was a thousand bucks. That's what so. this individual reported yesterday. He said he did it with a thousand dollars worth of equipment, but uh, from what I understood, there was. In Iran, there were people spoofing GPS with $26 worth of parts. I, I wouldn't doubt it, you know. Um, you know, these people are um, very crafty. There's a lot of information on the Internet, and that's another thing. I think that that's the, the, the partial explosion. You know, you have uh, the crowdsourcing of knowledge. You know, even uh, talking to another gentleman in Europe, he was asking me some questions for a... Um, the paper he was doing, and I was just like, you know, just think even 20 years ago, you know, either there have to be an expensive phone call or you'd be writing me letters back and forth and weeks in between, yada, yada. Now it's just like I can go to a multitude of different sites, ask questions, um, and they will be answered within minutes, regardless of my nationality or whatever else. I used to have a real problem with that, um, that, you know, people were basically giving information and secrets to people that were, let's say, didn't have the, uh, the United States' best interest in mind, yeah. especially with boots on the ground. Um, you know, again, that's one of my quirks is I'm an idealist. and uh, But, you know, I lost that battle very early. There were People just told me, oh, we don't care. We're doing whatever we want to do. And if it's giving the Chinese or Iranians or whatever information and details and how to do things, we're just doing it. No one's going to tell us what to do. So, you know, I'm only one guy. 
but uh, I, I don't. I do think that that's going to be an issue. I also believe that um, the other issue is going to be is the the air dominance, air superiority uh, thing is is over. You know, and the swarming technology, you can see in the do-it-yourself community that they're going to do an exercise where they're going to have 50 to 100 planes flying around, you know, together. So, again, this is done, you know, on a couple of hundred dollar level, you know, um, DARPA still spending millions of dollars. DOD is spending, you know, half a billion dollars to develop a system that out there in the, uh, say, internet world or or basic do-it-yourself community or hobby community is going to be done for a couple of hundred bucks. How are you going to combat that? I, you know, I don't think that it's really necessary to combat it. And on the flip side of the coin, this individual at UT that, that could spook UA, I think that that's going to drive the technology and, and even drive Moore's Law into more of a compressed state because these people are making this sort of progress with off-the-shelf equipment. Mm-hmm. So if if you if you look at it from that standpoint, they're going to drive the technology further and farther so that it's more secure. Well, they have to. I mean, you know, even from my experience, you know, you know this COTS deal. It's another uh, white paper I'm working on is the COTS industrial complex. And, and COTS is good. You know, there are some uh, real advantages to COTS. It's just that. From my experience, you know, some of the some of the vendors, uh, let's say, go for the lowest dollar or price point cot stuff that's not really meant to work in, let's say, uh, hot and dusty environments. And when you have a thirty dollar part, shuts down a ten million dollar system. You know, is that is that an effective use of of commercial off the shelf stuff? Well, I don't know. I think that in that particular instance, it would be an effective use of COTS. But again, there are you need to to define what environment you're going to be in so that you can select COTS parts properly. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know that's a that's a whole other issue that uh, we need to wrap our heads around. But it's something it's a pitfall that we have to look out for. I mean. It, and I guess in contrast, when you think of, let's say, other countries that are uh, using more of an asymmetrical model, um, their COTS products are in several hundred dollar systems. And if that COTS product doesn't work, it's no big deal. Kind of a bigger deal for us. You know, something something for us to think about moving into the, the future. And I, I think that that's one of the uh, things with the mindset here that has to change in, in our uh DOD culture, but that's my personal feeling on the deal. I do think that uh, as time goes by and the parts get cheaper and uh, the hobby community um, grows, you know, more and more uh, of this technology is going to be in every high school kid's hands. You know, and then you'd you'd agree with that? I have to agree with that because uh, this is gonna. This is the future, and schools are gonna need to teach that. And again, we go back to some of our original discussions about uh, uh, schools and colleges trying to meet the the need of the technology, the demand of technology. Uh, high school kids. Back when I was programming, you could see high school kids that were programming in really complex languages and doing very well at it. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna see the same. 
same thing coming out of high school with unmanned aircraft because that's the cool thing to do these days. Yeah, and I and I don't think it's beyond um, the junior high level either. You know, I uh, eighth grade, seventh grade. You know, I I used to take the the boy out. I think he was ten, and we'd you know fly the plane and do all that. It's not really that difficult. And uh, so, so more and more as the technology gets out there, the proliferation and what people can do with it. I mean, you know. Uh, it, it's exciting times. Um, even wrote Gary a, an email last night talking about you know where we're going to be in 50 years, and uh, if people will look back at this time and and look at the pictures and go, oh my God, what were they thinking? You know, kind of like the uh, <laughs> you know even the, like the old old timey aircraft photos, you know, where you saw the plane that had ten wings high or the the one with the funnel on it that jumped up and down. Yeah, I think we'll we'll have definitely <clears throat> have more of that in the uh, in the distant or not too distant future. But people will be looking back, going, "Oh my God, what were they thinking?" You know, this thing here. You go out and you pay, you know, seventy five dollars, and it does all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it it should be uh, good for a chuckle out in the future. The other thing, you know, the, we talked about all the different jobs and uh, future jobs and, and people kind of grasping at those. Uh, you know, it's that's another thing with this community. I, I think the, the community has kind of taken a let's sit back and kind of see what happens. And for me, that's kind of frustrating, you know, because, uh, you know, for me being involved as long as I have, there's been a lot of people sitting back just watching and waiting. And I definitely believe that we have a situation that was that was kind of um, we find ourselves in now was kind of developed through apathy. And I do believe that early on. If there wasn't so many, I mean, and I'm sure you remember all the infighting and the people, oh, you're doing it wrong and blah, blah, blah. If we would have bound, bound all together in 2006 and said, uh, hell no, we're not we're not taking this, um, you know, I think we'd be in a very, very different situation uh, than we are today regulatory-wise. And, you know, that also, that, that's... Uh, also, let's say, overlays on the rest of the world. And that's going to be um, some more uh, podcasts in this series. We're going to have Peter von Blinberg on from uh, UBS International, and he's agreed to come on and talk about uh, the IKO effort, uh, the EuroK effort, what's going on in Europe, Russia, China, South America, Central America, India. Uh, UBS International is... Uh, very active in most of the world uh, besides uh, just United, not really too involved in the United States, but uh, the rest of the world, very much so. That ought to be interesting. We're also getting wind of um, a group in Australia who has basically came up with a, a report of their own on what CASA proposes and they're not happy about it. They see it as a uh, business stifling uh, regulatory program, which I've thought all along, you know, the, the CASA stuff. And I'm sure you've looked at that. Um, you've looked at that stuff? Yes. Uh, and I think it's rather funny that uh, they're following very much a parallel path that we've been on. But, uh, again, the CAA looks to the FAA for guidance many times, and they do collaborate. 
Well, a lot of people do look to the FAA for leadership, and I think that that might be a misguided uh, idealism because maybe one at one time they were doing something, but I, I just. Uh, you know the the federal at the federal level in the United States the regulatory process is broken down it's just it's it's convoluted there's you know the old uh, you know Mr. Smith goes to Washington you know uh, people out in the daylight and doing things and it's just over that is over and it's like pulling teeth to you know be part of the public process which you know segues into Another deal. I mean, I did get the job descriptions for the manager of the UAPO, and I'm working on a story for that now, and it looks like we'll be uh, FOIA requesting a lot of information. There's supposed to be reports and updates from UAPO on progress that they had been making, and and, uh, those went to the Associate Administrator for Aviation Safety, and then she would in turn um, report to the Administrator, and there's some people in between and, you know, whatever else. And I think we're going to delve into that process. And I think we're going to delve into that process and we're going to go back, you know, in some cases to 2005, in some cases to 2009. And we're going to see, you know, uh, what the process was. And, you know, I, I want to kind of peel back the onion to the ARC 2.0, start there and see, you know, how that was put together and who put it together. Um, I mean, I already know the answers to that, but officially who put it together, how it was put together, who decided who would be on there, you know, the, the, how that, the mechanics of that all worked. I think that'll be interesting. You know, uh, what was presented to the associate administrator for aviation safety and what she signed off on, what she, you know, what we thought we were getting, um, and then also, you know, uh, go back to 2005 as far as the progress reports that were, uh, you know, given up the chain uh, to the associate administrator for aviation safety and then again to the administrator. I'd be very interested to see uh, what these progress reports contain. It should be all public data. Um, and, and it should be interesting to see uh, what directions and the changes of tact and all the rest of that. Would you agree with that? Or do you... Any other comments? Yeah, I, I think that uh, the FOIA request that you put out for the job descriptions is going to reveal some pretty interesting responsibilities. Well, and, uh, it, it, go ahead. Uh, I did get them back, and I did read through there, and I think some of them are a little they're a little light. Uh, in description, as far as the, the you know, I mean, they talk about the capacity. Uh, their common theme that they're supposed to um, interface with the public, represent the uh, FAA, and interface with the public and news media, which uh, uh, not so much. I mean, I, I've I've had a very difficult time getting a return of correspondence on anything from the FAA, phone call, email, nothing. Um, you know, I've had to go through uh, federal representation office to get answers to anything. I still had that, I had that FOIA request in from 2008 on who had the covers. And, you know, the the one company, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, sued and got a list of who had covers. You, you think that uh, since that list came out, anybody over at the FAA sent me anything? Nada. Now we can't know. No. 
And, you know, I've had other inquiries made through uh, congressional channels about, um, you know, certain processes and, you know, the edict of 2007. And I had the congressional liaison person on the phone with uh, everyone from the unmanned program office. They basically made my point that that was an edict and that the T's were not crossed and the I's were not dotted. They had uh, legal representation on there. Uh, for the office and for the FAA, and basically those gentlemen made my point that, uh, you know, they changed, basically changed FAA policy. Some might disagree, but as far as I was concerned, it was uh, nailed shut, and even the congressional person was like, well, I'm going to have to uh, dig deeper into this, um, find out what's going on, talk to some other people, and get back to you. Still waiting on the get back. Uh, and I know you probably find that hard to believe. <laughs> I, I find it rather interesting that uh, one of the FAA's uh, mandates is to promote and not hinder commerce. Uh, that's one of the little-known uh, responsibilities mm. that they have. And, wow, I uh, don't know what happened on that one either. Oh, yeah, no, I, you know, I don't know. They're They're not really – they don't really – I think think that way. They think more about along the lines of safety, and and you know that's good. We all want a safe thing, you know. I mean, nobody nobody's uh, against safety, but uh, you know, I do think that uh, you know we're all in the kind of the waka together, and we have to row together. And uh, as a country, you know, there's there's a lot of things that you can look at that are, are that are that are wrong with the economic climate. And moving forward, and this type of, um, let's say, public service that we're getting out of this federal agency runs counter to a productive United States of America, in my estimation. I agree. That is totally agree. Yeah, and, you know, that's not a hard one to find anywhere I go. And if I go out and talk to people in the community and say, hey, uh, here's the situation. We want to get to work. We want to do business. We want to, you know, develop technology. We want to help these different industries. Everybody is, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. What do we do? How can we do this? What do we do? There's like a collective frustration and no one knows how to move forward. But uh, I think there's a lot of power in the grassroots effort. And, you know, a lot of people have written letters to their uh, federally elected representatives and governors and everything else. But um, you would think even with the upswell of support and all the people that have contacted the FAA and the different levels and even the administrator and all the rest of that, that, you know, someone would stand up and take notice and say, hey, you know, maybe maybe these guys have a valid complaint. They've they've been here for the last uh, eight years. They've tried to interface. They've tried to impart uh, their knowledge and expertise. And basically, we've just shut them down at every turn. Why is that? And I think that that's one of the questions that needs to be asked. And I think that will go hand in glove with the FOIA requests of, of kind of the paper trail of, how all of this stuff transpired and what happened and who knew what, and, you know. I mean, somebody had to sign off on this, so we got to find out who that is and uh, kind of sift through that and find out where things might have gotten off track. It should prove I to be pretty interesting. That, I think you'll find that the shield is, uh, is going to be safety for the NAS, and uh, regardless of who was in position at the time, I think that that's going to be the, the uh, overriding impetus in this whole thing. 
And, and cheering, it's a good one. You know, remember they rode data for how many years? I'm still riding that one. Um, if you don't start collecting data, and they could have started collecting data, I, I, I brought up the um, oh god, the the I forget what it is off the top of my head, but the um, the the uh, survey that they use for manned aircraft uh, would work for unmanned aircraft, and it was already there, major risk available, blah blah blah. It's just been a it's been a stumbling block. Anyway, believe it or not, we are under a minute here before it's over. Our, uh, our our guest was a no-show, but we had, I thought, was a pretty uh, lively and enlightening conversation. I agree, and I hope we uh, can get our guest in for another show. I think he would be a, a very good uh, good person to talk to about the COA process and how the, mil- or the, not the military, but the law enforcement are, are using unmanned aircraft. I would agree. Uh, be uh, enlightening and informative. Maybe uh, something came up. I mean, he is in law enforcement. Maybe uh, something came up that uh, he had to go do. So, you know, I'll give him a pass on that one, and uh, we'll bring him in next time. Anyway, Gene, till next week, um, you know, have fun down there in Texas, and uh, stay safe. Okay, everyone take care, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>